Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 10th, 2023. It is currently 2.18 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Christianity is in crises. Christianity is in crises. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christianity is facing a crisis of epic proportion? That Christianity is, is just hanging on? Do you believe there's a crisis facing Christianity? Do you believe that? Do you dis, disagree with that? What do you think when you hear, hey, um, uh, Christianity is facing a, a crisis? It, it's, it's right there. It's in a crisis state. Do, do you, do you believe that? Do you, do you agree with that? Christianity is in crisis. Do you, do you believe it? Do you believe Christianity is in crisis? Christianity is facing a crisis. Do you believe it? What do you think? Or do you kind of just shrug your shoulders and like, Oh boy, I've been hearing that Christianity is in crisis my whole life. My whole Christian life. I've heard Christianity is in crisis. There was a, I think, um, was that Hank Hanegraaff who wrote a book, Christianity in Crisis, when he was dealing with the explosion of the charismatic movement? I think he, I think he called it Christianity in Crisis. I think I have the book in our church library. It was Hank Hanegraaff before he converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, but he was warning about the explosion of the charismatic movement. And how it was infiltrating the American church and it was doing grave damage. Christianity in crisis. Christianity in crises. Do you, do you, how do you feel about that? Now, if I go back through my Christian life, I've kind of just look through my Christian life and try to think of all the crises that the American church has supposedly faced and been in the middle of, right? Now, in the 80s, when I first became a Christian, I don't really remember a lot about Christianity in crisis. I heard more that the, that, you know, young people were in crisis because of MTV and, you know, Iron Maiden and, and Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest and, you know, metal and MTV and Madonna. It's the end of everything. And so we're all going to die. Okay. So we, we, we need contemporary Christian music. And then others were like, no, contemporary Christian music is a, the work of the devil. And others were like, no, it's an alternative. And no, don't do that. And so it was more about uh, Christian about Christian young people facing the dangers of dancing. I know at West Texas, I'm telling you, there are literally town ordinances against dancing. Just watch Footloose. You kind of get an idea. I know it's a movie, but there was a lot of, there was a little bit of reality to it. All right. So Christianity, so Christian young people were in crisis because of how culture was so filled with temptation and violence and sexuality through MTV. And then oh, we, we hadn't gotten to the nineties and the video game crisis. So it was more of that not Christianity is in crisis, but Christian young people are in crisis because of MTV and you know, heavy metal and whatever the case may be. We hadn't really got to the explosion of rap, so that really wasn't the issue yet. Uh, the Atari wasn't seen as a major threat to Christian young people yet, so it was more about a, a sexuality, premarital sex, that type of thing. There was a lot of discussion about suicide. That, that was kind of what I, I don't remember much about Christianity being in crisis. It was Christian young people were in crisis because of what the culture was doing. Then we entered into the 90s. 
Now, in the 90s, once again, Christian young people were in crises because of video games. Now, it, it was Marilyn Manson, and it was gangsta rap, and, 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 and so things were changing there. But I started hearing in the 90s that the church, that the church was in crises. The church was a, in a crisis, and that what was facing the church, what was facing the church was the crisis of seeker-sensitive, this, this kind of seeker-sensitive you know, kind of trying to create a church for lost people, that the church was becoming ecumenical, that the church was now compromising. The church was trying to attract lost people. The church was becoming this place where it didn't want to offend anybody and that the, that we needed to stand strong against it. And the church needed to be the church and not a circus and not a, a place for fun, food and activity, but a place for preaching. And we needed to get back to expositional preaching of God's word and sermons were now too topical and they were watered down and that there was so I kind of heard that 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 there was a crisis happening to the church the church was in crises once again so I kind of heard that in the 90s it was and so now it was a little bit more not looking like hey we're in crises because of what the culture is doing now it's like the church is entering into a crisis because the church is is having these compromises and maybe maybe too many Protestant churches are now trying to come together with Roman Catholicism, and there was some controversy there. Uh, what was the document? Evangelicals and Catholics Together ECT document. I remember that being a big issue at Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was a student there, and it was discussed, and it was a big controversy. So, so that was happening, but it was kind of like the church was changing, right? The church was, was going that the church was adopting these new methods and these new ideas. And so the church of the past was the past. And now it was time for kind of a new church, whether you called it the church growth movement, the seeker sensitive movement, that the, the, there was something happening. And now, now some people saying the church was in crises and others were like, what are you talking about? These churches are exploding. They got 15,000 people. They've got 10,000. What are you talking about that the church is in crises? It's growing so fast. This is, this is a revival is here. Also in the nineties, I started hearing more and more about the dangers of the charismatic movement, which obviously they were probably talking about it in the eighties, but I, I just wasn't aware of it. And the nineties is when I started hearing about the dangers of the charismatic movement and how horrible it was. I, I encountered the charismatic movement a little bit in the eighties, but I just thought who would take that stuff serious? These people are insane. Like, so like I never. I was a teenager. I'm like, no, no rational, reasonable person would believe that insanity. Those people are crazy. Those people are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay. So like, but then you started realizing in the nineties, no, this stuff is, this stuff is everywhere. Now, other people probably already realized it. I'm just expressing my own personal experience. So I, then I started hearing, I think Hank Hanegraaff, I I'm probably did not come in contact with this book until the 90s. And then it was like, oh, and then Charismatic Chaos by John MacArthur. I think that was produced in the 90s, or at least I did not get my hands on it until the 1990s. So I knew something was going on. It was almost like, hey, there's a large part of Christianity that's going the wrong direction. They're going church growth, seeker sensitive, charismatic, ecumenical. They're compromising. And we gotta, we gotta stand against it. We cannot be a part of that. We don't fellowship with it. We condemn it and we fight against it. All right. Okay. So got it. 
All right. So then as we kept moving on, as we kind of got into the 2000s, then there was kind of a lot of things happening. I think I felt that there was an explosion of reform theology. So then it was like the church is in crises because the church has abandoned reformation thinking, reformation theology. Uh, you know, they have, they're semi-Pelagian, they're Pelagian, uh, they, they're Arminian. And so there, I, I felt that there was like, now, now the crises was, Reformation theology versus non-Reformation theology. But you still had the explosion of some of these large churches, Mars Hill. You had a lot of these things happening. The charismatic movement, of course, was still there causing problems. So I felt, I felt that I, I don't really feel like there was a lot of, maybe there was, there was a lot of talk about the churches being in crises, about that the teaching is too watered down. They're not theological enough, but it was more, I think then the emergent church crises happened. Oh, the emergent church. This is the new crisis. This is the new crisis. The emergent church. This is the issue. This is the issue. All right. So then we kind of went through that. We kind of went through that. Then as we kind of moved forward, you had the implosion of Mars Hill. You had kind of like, I don't, something kind of started changing, right? Something started changing. And I felt for me that the new crisis facing the American church, the new crises facing the American church was going to be the political hijacking of American Christianity. This slowly but surely, I felt that the church was now becoming much more focused on culture wars and much more pol- and looking to politics to win the culture war. So I started feeling like, whoa, and as we got closer and closer to 2016, then there was no question. Between 2015 and 2016 and the rise of Donald Trump, it became obvious to me. The church has absolutely lost its ever-living mind. I don't even know what ha- Like, I wanted to go back to the days where we're fighting about church growth, uh, seeker-sensitive, emergent, reformed theology versus non-reformed theology. I wanted to go back to those days because now it was like, wait. Donald Trump is the issue? Wait, wait, make America great again? Wait, win the culture wars? I'm like, what is, what, what, the church is turning into, you know, an arm of the Republican Party? What is happening here? So slowly but surely, I felt the church was becoming more political, more political, and more political, and more political. And as the church was becoming more political, the culture was becoming more secular. But what the church started offering the people wasn't the gospel but was politics. So I felt that I felt the whole thing was a mess. And then slowly but surely, we then had the rise of deconstruction or deconstructionism, where people were deconstructing their faith and abandoning Christianity. And then we have the de-churching crises that's being talked about. The church is in crisis because everybody's leaving. And and then you had the pandemic. Now people are not coming back. Church attendance is down everywhere. So what, what exactly is the main crisis now? Now, you, if you ask me, I would say now maybe the major issues, the major crises facing the church today is still the politicizing and the political hijacking, but I would say the abandoning of a proper distinction between law and gospel. I'm more and more convinced that that's been an issue probably for decades and I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, people, I think now, even within the church, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, they kind of view church as just another option in their, you know, list of options. 
It's like they, they're scrolling through Netflix and they're just like, well, I can take it or leave it. I, there's just, I don't know. There seems to be a, I, I talked about this many years ago, like a spiritual apathy, a spiritual complacency. Something's going on. I don't know if we can pinpoint exactly where it is, but as we go into moving forward, the indictments of Trump with 77 now, 78 indictments with a possibility of like over 600 years in prison with, with all of his indictments that I think the church is going to become even more politically divided, more politically minded as we move to the next major election. I think that's going to still be a problem. I don't know, you know if people are coming back to the church as churches begin to decline in numbers. I think many churches will have to close their doors. I don't know what's going to happen there. Theologically, I don't even know where the church is right now. Theologically, I don't even, I, I think we've become so, I don't know. And then t- some think that the next major crisis facing the church is going to be the rise of artificial intelligence, that AI is going to be absolutely the crisis that's going to possibly change Christianity forever. I, I, I think it's something we have to look at. I think the Pope in January is, uh, every January, what is it called? I can't remember what it's called. It's a day where the Pope delivers a message. Um, it goes back to, I think John Paul started it, but it happens in January. And I think this speech that Pope uh, Francis is going to give is going to be on AI, the ethics of artificial intelligence. I'd have to verify that. So someone please verify that. Was it called World Peace Day? I can't remember what it's called, but uh, January. So he's going to be talking about AI. I just, I've read a series of articles on this spiritual crises that we are facing because of the rise of AI. So, uh, so I don't really know yet how to process that possible threat. I know we have the de-churching. That is a threat to the livelihood and future of, of, physical churches and even online ministries that people are disengaging. Well, if they're not attending, participating or giving, ministries are going to just start. <laughs> there's going to become less and less and less of them. You may say that's a good thing. Who knows? Um, so we, we've got, I don't know exactly where we are trying to figure out where we are. I, I don't know. I don't know if I've got it figured out, but those were a lot of the crises, a lot of the crises that I have seen throughout my Christian. What are the ones you remember? What are the ones you remember? Now, I, I didn't mention every single thing, but I mean, there were so many issues at the time that everyone, we, we, you would get those, again, magazine articles or, or sermons, Christianity and crises. It's happening. It's happening, ladies and gentlemen. We are on the verge of total, complete co- collapse. I think we're, we're, Christianity will always be around. The question is, in what form will it manifest itself? Is it going to be a biblical, historical Christianity, or is it going to be some mutated hybrid, which is what I've been warning people about, that slowly but surely, what we call Christianity is not biblical Christianity, it's a political Christian nationalist, it's something other than, and are we going to be able to tell the difference? Well, if Christians are so theologically illiterate, they're not going to be able to tell the difference. They just want to hear a pro-American message, a Christian nationalistic message about overcoming the evil culture through whatever means necessary. And they want a moral system more than they want theology or the actual gospel is my concern. But I mention all of this because guess what happened an hour ago, I think. Maybe it's an hour ago. I get a notification one of my podcast apps with this title. He was a top church official who criticized Trump 
He says Christianity is in crisis or crises, however you would like to say it. Is the church in crisis? Is the church in crises? What do you think? Well, let's listen to this discussion and we will analyze it and critique it. And you can tell me what you think. Here we go. For years, Russell Moore was one of the top officials in the Southern Baptist Convention. Then Donald Trump came on the scene. Moore criticized him publicly and found himself ostracized by many other evangelical leaders who embraced Trump. Then Moore criticized the Southern Baptist Convention's response to a sexual abuse crisis, as well as what he viewed as an increased tolerance for white nationalism within the church. And suddenly, Moore found himself resigning from his post and on the outside of a denomination that had up until that point defined his life. My personal faith has become stronger, and I know that's surprising to many people given the uh, given some of the awful things uh, that I've seen. But I've also seen some remarkable signs of life and signs of grace as well. Moore's new book, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America, is an attempt at finding a path forward for the religion he loves. When we talked this week, Moore told me why he thinks Christianity is in crisis today in America. Okay, so he's, he was against Trump, spoke out against the way the church was handling sexual abuse. <laughs> and he found himself on the outside looking. I want you to just think about that. If you don't support Trump and you're like, hey, guys, I think sexual abuse is bad and maybe we should address it. You're on the outside and then you get criticized as being woke, as being liberal and you be attacked because you know what? If you don't go for Trump, you, you're woke. Your Christianity is in question. And if you think maybe, maybe we need to look at how sexual abuse is being handled, I guess that makes you woke and that makes you liberal. Just try to process that. How does that put you outside of Christianity? Why would that make you an outsider? Why would you be attacked? <laughs> if that doesn't prove the church is in crises or I, I don't know what, I don't know what would, I don't know. I don't know what would do that. I, I, that, that, that's just crap. I'm going to play all of that again because I just want you to hear all of this. This comes to us from NPR. Um, I don't know which program it aired this morning. It may have been NPR morning edition. Um, I don't know which, uh, one, but it's, it's there. You can go to npr.org and find it. Um, and you, the headline you would look for, he was a top church official who criticized Trump. He says Christianity is in crisis. All right. So, are you ready? Let, let's let's listen to this again. I just want you to hear. Just this is just so bizarre. Like how how would this put you outside? Uh, uh, how would this lead you to being ostracized? How would this lead you to being kind of kicked to the curb? How would this make you feel like a stranger in your own denomination? How would this make you feel like a stranger to the evangelical world? But I've said it so many times that the, the that. From the outside, I may look at a church and go, oh, wonderful. But once I got inside and started hearing the people talk and talk, I would feel like an outsider because I don't buy into their politics. I don't buy into Trump. I don't buy into their culture war nonsense. So I would immediately be an outsider. I don't buy into the Christian nationalism. I condemn all of it. 
But if you try to explain this to people, you're driving people out of the church because of Trump and Christian nationalism and politics. They're like, you're just woke. You're just liberal. And you're not really a Christian. Okay, well, you keep doing that. And you're going to look around one day and they're not going to be anybody left because you drove fellow believers out because of your arrogant, condescending, judgmental nonsense because of your political, because of your political hijacked form of Christianity. I think a lot of the deconstruction led to because of the politicizing of the American church. For years, Russell Moore was one of the top officials in the Southern Baptist Convention. Then Donald Trump came on the scene. Moore criticized him publicly and found himself ostracized by many other evangelical leaders who embraced Trump. Then Moore criticized the Southern Baptist Convention's response to a sexual abuse crisis, as well as what he viewed as an increased tolerance for white nationalism within the church. And suddenly, Moore found himself resigning from his post and on the outside of a denomination that had up until that point defined his life. My personal faith has become stronger, and I know that's surprising to many people given the uh, given some of the awful things uh, that I've seen, but I've also seen some remarkable signs of life and signs of grace as well. Moore's new book, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America, is an attempt at finding a path forward for the religion he loves. When we talked this week, Moore told me why he thinks Christianity is in crisis today in America. Well, it was the result of having uh, multiple pastors tell me essentially the same story about quoting the Sermon on the Mount parenthetically uh, in their preaching. Turn the other cheek. Uh, to have someone come up after and say, where did you get those liberal talking points? And what was alarming to me is that in, in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, uh, the response would not be, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. Wow, 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 wow. Where did you get those liberal talking points? Where did you get those liberal talking points? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Resist not evil. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, no, 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 no. We're going to talk like Donald Trump does on Truth Social. We're going to talk like Donald Trump used to talk on Twitter, now X, before he got X'd, before he got deplatformed and banned, okay, because of how he treated people and talked about people. Christianity started talking. I've been saying this for a long time. It, we're in danger when Christians start talking like Donald Trump. They start talking like Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck, Michael Savage, Mark Levin. You just name the, the flavor of the month in conservative media, Stephen Crowder, Alex Jones. When Christians start talking like that, and they're not talking like Jesus Christ, they're not talking like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, something is wrong. And I would say that over and over because I heard it. I heard it. Now, I did hear this a little bit in the 80s, and then I heard it a lot in the 90s with the rise of Rush Limbaugh. It would be Christian men sitting in church talking about some social issue, and it sounded like, well, obviously you listen to Rush Limbaugh. Great. I'm glad you can talk like him. Now, could you talk about the subject maybe, I don't know, from a Christian perspective? I know that could be shocking, but we're actually standing inside a church. 
When something would be happening in the Middle East, whether it's Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan, Christian men would be like, we just need to turn the place into a parking lot. We just need to nuke it. And you're like, you want to drop nuclear weapons on a country, turn it into a parking lot. I don't know. You don't seem to care about the human beings that would die. And it's Christian men, talking like all big and bad. And it's like, oh man, I can't stand the bravado. And like, you know, oh yeah, you're a big man. You talk a big game sitting here in church wanting to, you know, nuke human beings. I mean, like, but that, hey, that's a good Christian spirit right there. And I, myself, when I've talked about, well, wait a minute, Jesus seems to turn the other cheek, resist not evil. Hmm. Jesus says, love your enemy. And I may raise a question. How do you love your enemy? How do you turn the other cheek? If someone was to do something to you, you pull out a gun and shoot them. And immediately I would get, hey, 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 now, 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 now. You know, that's not what Jesus meant. You know, he didn't mean it that way. And they want to start watering it down. They want to start changing it. Well, one, that's a whole, because they're, they're, they can't understand the difference between law and gospel. No, Jesus doesn't turn anything. He, he doesn't let you water it down. He, he's, he's like law. He wants perfection. Uh, and so, well, yeah, those who love death, they typically claim to be pro-life while they seem to love death. And when, but when I remember preaching some of these things, even in a church where people know my stance on some of these and they were like, how dare you know that doesn't work? And it's like, unbelievable. Like you're talking like you're a member of the National Rifle Association, not like you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're talking like you're from West Texas, not like you're a citizen of heaven. You're talking like you're a member of the Republican Party, not like you are a citizen of heaven. And and I would be like, what is wrong with this situation? How come you can't see that you're talking like something that you shouldn't be? Then when pastors are reporting the same thing, you can't preach certain parts of the Sermon on the Mount because those are liberal talking points. What has happened to the American church? What has happened to Christians who cannot think that way? The American church is in crises. Now, I, I do know, because I know I'm going to have someone email because you'll notice it, that I have said crisis and crises. I've, I've reverted back and forth, right? And I know one's the plural of the other. So I, in some ways, we're in crisis, but I think we're facing many crises. I think we're facing many. I think, I don't know if there's just one. I think we got the political, the de-churching, the theological. I think there, there's many. So I know someone's going to email me and criticize my going back and forth between crisis and crises. And I know I'm, I may, I, I know I may be using the plural when you don't think I should be using the plural. I understand all of that. So don't start emailing me about that. You're missing my point. Okay. You're missing my point. There are multiple crises, crises that the church is facing. And I think it's, I, I, I'm personally, when I, when I refer to the political hijacking of the church, I don't think the political hijacking of the church could have occurred with what with what happened, unless we had what happened, I believe in the nineties, moving into the two thousands, where you had the church watering down theology and doctrine and true preaching, right? And so that there was, a, that, remember we referred to it. I, I mean, I, at least I heard it. I didn't talk about this in my introduction, but there was the crisis of biblical illiteracy that the church is facing a major crisis of biblical illiteracy or a crisis of biblical and theological illiteracy. That illiteracy 
was the soil in which deception was planted. And the deception was politics over Christ, even though no one would say it that way. There are multiple crises because I think if we look at the political hijacking, I think it's really a symptom of the other crisis, which was the biblical and theological illiteracy. But that's just crazy. Okay, now I'm going to back this up one more time. I'm going to play all of that again. I know this is going to be a little repetitive, but I just want you to really soak in what is being said here. Right Here we go. For years, Russell Moore was one of the top officials in the Southern Baptist Convention. Then Donald Trump came on the scene. Moore criticized him publicly and found himself ostracized by many other evangelical leaders who embraced Trump. Then Moore criticized the Southern Baptist Convention's response to a sexual abuse crisis, as well as what he viewed as an increased tolerance for white nationalism within the church. And suddenly, Moore found himself resigning from his post and on the outside of a denomination that had up until that point defined his life. My personal faith has become stronger, and I know that's surprising to many people given the, uh, given some of the awful things uh, that I've seen. But I've also seen some remarkable signs of life and signs of grace as well. Moore's new book, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America, is an attempt at finding a path forward for the religion he loves. When we talked this week, Moore told me why he thinks Christianity is in crisis today in America. Well, it was the result of having uh, multiple pastors tell me essentially the same story about quoting the Sermon on the Mount parenthetically uh, in their preaching. Turn the other cheek. Uh, to have someone come up after and say, where did you get those liberal talking points? And what was alarming to me is that in, in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, uh, the response would not be, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. And it, it, when, when we get to the point where the, the teachings of Jesus himself are seen as subversive to us, then we're in a crisis. I mean, how do you even begin to fix that problem, though, when the central message of the gospel is something that a lot of people in the church do not seem to want to fully embrace? I don't think we fix it by fighting a war for the soul of evangelicalism. I really don't think we can fix it at the movement level. And uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why when I'm talking to Christians who are concerned about this, my, my counsel is always small and local. I think we have to do something different and show a different way. And and I see in history every time that something uh, renewing and reviving has happened, it's happened that way. It's happened at a small level with people simply uh, refusing to go with the stream of the church culture at the time. And I think... Okay. How many people do you think is out, are out there right now? who are not going along with the church culture of the time. And I want that to be very much written down and 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 you need to consider church culture. Church culture. As we talk about and condemn the culture out there and we tell Christians, don't follow the culture. Don't follow the culture. Be counterculture. Well, what about being counterculture to the church culture? Because churches adopt a culture. 
Churches adopt a way of thinking and talking. There's a template, like it's coming off an assembly line. Here's church number one. Here's church number two. They sound the same, talk the same, look the same, use the same language. We need community. We need like all the buzzwords, right? They, they, it's like you get a memo and everyone's like, here's the words you're supposed to use. You need small groups or let's call them community groups and like whatever they, whatever you're supposed to use and everyone buys into it. And I've always been anti-church culture. All right. Uh, oh, good. Okay. Good point. Good point. Good point. Someone just made a, a point. Turn the other cheek. Is that gospel or law? Very good. It is law. Very good. That's very good. That's very good. So that, that obviously the, uh, the, the report has already confused law and gospel, but that's very true. When you hear turn the other cheek, that is not gospel. That is law. When you hear love your enemy, that is not gospel. That is law. So someone has been listening to some really good teaching on law and gospel. I don't know the name of the podcast they've been listening to, but they should be eternally grateful and thankful for that podcast. And it should be their favorite podcast. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. Obviously, this person, I think they got that idea from me. Maybe. Okay. All right. Maybe, maybe not. All right. But so, but the point is there's a church culture and we can't, we have to be counterculture to the culture and we need to be counterculture to the church culture because I think most of the time church culture is something other than scripture. I think there's a scriptural quote unquote culture that we should follow, but I think that church culture it's not always in line with the scriptures. It becomes the culture of the church. It's just, we do this, we do this. And whenever you go against that church culture, <laughs> watch what happens, man. I'm telling you this, they're packing up and they're moving on and they're not going on up to the east side or however the Jefferson's theme song goes. They, they, they're not moving on up to the east side. No, 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 no. To the penthouse in the sky. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the lyrics to that theme song. Okay. But they are moving somewhere else. They're going to move to a church that will give them the cu- church culture that they want and tell you that they're doing so for biblical and theological reasons. No, you're picking because you want a culture a culture. And a lot of Christians want their church culture to be very much American culture. They want their church culture to be very much Republican culture. They want their church culture to be very much the NRA. They want their American cult. They want the, they want all of their, their geographical, their, they want so much of their culture to be the church culture. And if the church culture doesn't go along with these other aspects of culture they want, they don't like it. All right. Deluxe apartment in the sky. There we go. There we go. Deluxe apartment. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I have well-educated listeners who know the theme song to the Jeffersons. Okay. All right. But the point is, if you don't give them that culture, they will move right on up to the deluxe apartment in the sky and they're going to leave your church behind because they want a culture. We can't, we need, how many people will not go along with the church culture that has become politicized? That's where we need to be now. How much is politics part of the problem here? Are there, are there big issues that have led to these problems that aren't politics? Because I think the politics and the culture war aspects of it certainly take up the most attention and certainly play out the most in public. And I just want to point out something. See, he's kind of saying, so how much of this is politics? How much is this something else? That's why I started, the church is in crises. 
I went with the plural because I don't, I don't see the churches in crisis. I think it's in crises. I think they're, the church is facing multiple crises, multiple crises. There are multiple ones. So that's why I went with the plural, even if I, whether I used it correctly or incorrectly, you can judge me on that. But I was trying to make a very, very valid point. And then as I got into it, I realized someone is going to email me and say, it's crisis. It's not crises and crises should be okay. I get all of that. I was trying to make a point. The church is facing crises, numerous ones, political, attendance, attitude. There's, there's theological, law gospel. There's a, I, I think there's a multitude of issues, right? AI. I don't think that maybe that may not be a crisis yet, but I think it's going to have a profound impact on the future of the church. I think that the the roots of the political uh, problem really come down to disconnection, loneliness, sense of uh, alienation, uh, even in in churches that are still healthy and functioning. Uh, regular church going is not what it was a generation ago, uh, in which the entire structure of the week was defined by the community. And I think there's a great deal of uh, a great deal of fear that comes from that. And then when you look around at legitimate uh, concerns, often that, that Christians have about the society around them, but when that's packaged in terms of existential threat, uh, which I don't think is unique to the church right now, I, I think that that almost every sector of American life uh, is is seeing this with what um, Amanda Ripley calls conflict entrepreneurs people who are willing to come in and say everything is about to be lost and desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah. To that end, a lot in this book is about what is going wrong. And I wanted to ask you about somebody that you see as, as the right direction. And I noticed that you repeatedly throughout the book return to C.S. Lewis as somebody who has been very important in your own life, very important in personal crises of faith that you faced. And and one of the things that you mentioned right away is his welcome and encouraging tone yeah. in his writing. What was it about his words that helped you so much? I think what helped me as a, as a 15-year-old, I was looking around at Bible Belt uh, Christianity and wondering, is this all really just politics uh, or social control or something else, some means to an end? And because I had read the Chronicles of Narnia so many times as a young child, I recognized Lewis's name and on the spine of the book and was able to read it. What struck me was the fact that he very clearly wasn't trying to market to me or to mobilize me for anything. He was simply bearing witness to what he had uh, seen and what he knew to be true. And I, I really think that often in in the history of the church, the people who can do that are people who seem to come out of nowhere. Uh, Lewis was an atheist uh, literature professor, very antagonistic to Christianity until he became a Christian. We've seen that so often. So I, I often tell people when they ask, well, who's the next Billy Graham? Uh, the next Billy Graham may not even be a Christian yet and and might, as a matter of fact, be a person very hostile to Christianity. We've seen that before. I think you you refer to to your personal situation as almost accidental exile at a, at at points in in the book. Yeah. Are you glad that happened? I I am not someone who uh, thinks of myself as a dissenter 
And yeah. I, I don't like the role of dissenter. I, I like uh, belonging. I love my community. Um, and, and so it's a very unnatural uh, sense of, of exile for me. But one of the things I've noticed is that since since I've gone through that, I've talked to thousands of people who have experienced a very similar thing. They, they feel homeless. Uh, they feel as though there's not one particular niche into which they uh, fit in all of these warring tribes in American life right now. And that is so true. I, I don't know where I fit in all the warring tribes of American Christianity. Just any given day, just go check out a, a Christian social media world. It's war, it's fighting, it's controversy, it's attacking, it's just maddening, and I don't fit in in any of it. And you throw in the political hijacking of the American church, the obliteration of, I think, theology. Of course, as I keep talking about, the abandoning the proper distinction between law and gospel. I don't, I don't fit in anywhere. I'm homeless. I'm homeless. I don't fit anywhere in the Christian world. And in fact, in a roundabout way, whether I ever intended it or not, this podcast is really for those who feel homeless in American Christianity. It really has become that, really. It's for those, because I get emails sometimes, people going, what happened to my church? I don't know what happened to my church. I don't really have a place. I don't know where to go. And a roundabout way, the, the Theology Central podcast has become the podcast for homeless Christians. I think in a roundabout way, that's, that's kind of what we are. I, I, yes, I have a church, clearly. <laughs> It's not very big, and clearly most people don't want what I try to provide. And in some ways, we're homeless because we don't fit in. Because people would come into our church, and one hand, we go like, oh, okay, you're reformed in your soteriology. Awesome. So am I. But then I'm not reformed enough. And then someone else would come in, oh, you preach this or that. Oh, you're not that enough. We're not enough of anything for anyone. We don't fit in. Our church, our church should just basically be a homeless shelter, right? A homeless shelter for those who feel homeless in American uh, Christianity. The problem is most Christians don't feel homeless. The minority feel homeless. The minority feel homeless, right? The majority seem to be more than happy with the uh, whatever American Christianity is becoming. Uh, now, some just drop out completely. Some just drop out completely. So I, I've always like, how do I, you know, how do I market my, like, I don't do I don't do any marketing for my church, but if I had the budget to do some marketing, I think that's what I would do. I would start trying to do a radio ad. Do you feel homeless in American Christianity? If so, it may be worth driving 22, 25 minutes south from Abilene, Texas to Ovalo, Texas and attend Victory Baptist Church, the place for homeless Christians, uh, uh, the place for theologically homeless individuals, because we don't fit in anywhere. Okay. We don't, we don't fit in with anyone, but, but that's, that's, that's the problem. And, and so, you know, maybe it works better for a podcast than it does a church. I don't, does it really work for a podcast? I don't know. I don't know. Um, the only way I would know if it works for a podcast is could I have enough support for this podcast to keep the podcast going? I, I don't even know if that would be feasible, but I know this. I'm going to go down swinging, uh, and, and saying, I don't, I don't want to try to fit into all of that. I don't want to try to fit in. And I don't think there's a way to fix it. I don't think there's a way to fix it. I think the only way to fix it, and I kind of agree with Russell Moore here, is just to say, look, you can have that or you can have this. 
And this is a completely opposite of that. It's not, I'm not trying to be that in any way, shape, or form. All right. I, 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 I just, I don't, I just, there's just no way. And someone said their wife would divorce me 80, uh, 87 million degrees. Okay. That's true. Okay. I know. I see what he's saying. If he was to come to Texas, his wife would divorce him because it's 87 million degrees. It's actually 88 million degrees today. So, you know, just to be accurate. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. But the point is, we do, I do feel some, I do feel what he feels. This, this kind of just like, where do you fit in? And he says that there's lots of people who feel that way. And I think they are out there, but they're, there's a disconnect with, like none of the, I think they all feel ostracized and alone because in a sense they find themselves kind of ostracized and alone. I don't think you run into a lot of Christians who be like, Hey, you homeless? Yeah, I'm homeless too. I don't think you find a lot of homeless Christians, uh, in the same location. I think we're spread out across the country and around the world where we look at the Christian world and we're like, I don't know what this is anymore. And not only do I not know what it is, I don't really know if I can predict where it's going. We're in August and I'm already starting to look at, you know, 2023, uh, whatever, whatever year it is, 2024, <laughs> whatever year it is anymore, 2024. And I, and I'm having a heart. A lot of times I'll start broadcasting as it gets close to the end of the year, looking to, towards the next year and what, what Christianity is going to face. And this is the time where I typically start trying to formulate that, but I'm looking to 2024 and I don't know. I don't know where Christianity is headed. I have, I, ha- I have no idea where it's going. And I don't know. And someone just asked, I don't know if it can be fixed. I really don't know. I, I don't think you can fix it. I think all you can do is say is there's going to have to be voices and people who rise up who offer something different. And I think you're going to end up with almost two kinds of Christianity. This politically hijacked, I don't know what it is. Um, and something trying to be different. And, and I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's just, uh, I, I, it's, I hate the idea that there, I, I just feel like we're moving into 2024. I think you're going to find more and more Christians finding themselves strangers and outsiders to the American church. And the American church will point their finger and condemn at them saying, you're woke, you're liberal, you're ungodly, and you're the heretic and you're the problem. And they're never going to stop and look at themselves going, why do we keep driving people out? I don't know. Probably some good reasons if you'd stop and look. Let's, let's let this finish. And again, I think that can be a good thing. That's not just an evangelical problem though, right? No. I feel like cultural tribalism and political us versus them over everything else is is a defining part of American life right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think – and there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that. But do you think there is any hope for the changes you want to see in the evangelical church if this all-or-nothing political cultural warfare moment continues across the country beyond its community? Well, I don't think the all-or-nothing cultural warfare is sustainable. Uh, I, 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 I think really, a lot of people agree with you on that, and yet here we are. Yeah, we, we are here, but but I really do think that it's not sustainable in terms of um, – there's a, a passage in the scripture that says, uh, beware if you uh, bite and scratch at one another that you do not devour one another. And I think in American life right now, we're starting to realize we're we're devouring one another. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Every almost every part of American life 
is uh, tribalized and, and factionalized, but it shouldn't be that way in the church. The, the very existence of the church is to mean a group of people who are reconciled uh, to God and to each other. And, and from the very beginning, uh, was standing apart from those sorts of, uh, those sorts of factions. And so I think, I think if we're going to get past the, blood and soil sorts of uh, nationalism or uh, all of the other uh, kinds of uh, kinds of totalizing cultural identities it's it's going to require rethinking what the church is and i don't think that's something new i think it's very old i think it's recovering a a first century uh, understanding of what it means to be the church russell moore his new book is losing our religion an altar call for evangelical america thank you so much thank you so much to say there, but please write down the name of that book, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. I would strongly suggest finding a copy of said book, reading it, and interpreting it, and thinking about how that may apply to the, your church situation, to the church at large. Someone uh, in the in the chat said, culture influencing the church more than the church can influence the culture. It says, I think I read that in a book somewhere. I used to say that every week when we began our series in the uh, study of Corinthians. I would tell everyone, Corinthians is a letter written to a church located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. That's how I started almost every sermon in our study of 1 Corinthians. Over and over and over, I would say that Corinthians is a, is a letter written to a church of uh, a church located in a city. The city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. And ladies and gentlemen, the cultural tribalism of our day has infiltrated the American church. The politicizing of everything in culture has infiltrated the church. Everything being a crisis, everything being in crises, everything being controversial, everyone being upset and angry and attacking one another and calling people names and hatred and bitterness. It's all in the American church. We didn't stand outside of it and different from it. We jumped right in and became a part of it. It became us. And I remember saying, if you go back and listen to some of the podcasts I was doing right at the very beginning, right at the very beginning of the pandemic, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, this is an opportunity for the American church. This is going to disrupt church as we know it. This is going to disrupt our lives as we know it. But we can take this as an opportunity to look to ourselves, to see our own spiritual failures, to see our own spiritual shortcomings, and to repent of that, and to grow spiritually, and to show love to our neighbors, and to show compassion, and try to be as good citizens as we can, and submit ourselves to the authorities in ways that we can, so that we do not cause trouble, but we bring help, that we do what we can to show that we value human life over our own little mini kingdoms, that we value human life over offerings 
over a a church attendance that we can do. We can demonstrate a love and a compassion and we can show the world when they're confused and don't know what to do that here are Christians who are stable and they're using this as an opportunity to, to grow in their knowledge of Christ and we can invite others to be a part of it and that we can use technology and reach out to people and teach them scripture and the Bible and that we can, we, we can, we could be this great shining example and it turned into absolute absurdity fighting and arguing we're going to prove a point and I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and it's a conspiracy and and they're putting you know microchips in the vaccine that will be turned that will is connected to 5G and when they turn it on we'll be under the control of the antichrist and it was just insanity and conspiracy and fighting and calling people names and and attack and attack and it's like well Huh? I thought, I thought, I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to grow spiritually. I thought it would be a great opportunity for, for us to show that we love our neighbors, we love ourselves. I thought this would be a great opportunity to show us that we put others before ourselves. I thought this would be a great opportunity to utilize technology during a time of national crisis, a, a global crisis, but no, 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 no. The church just disintegrated into the same bickering and fighting and name-calling, and selfishness, and looking out for us over anybody else. We failed that crisis. I think we felt someone has written book, uh, Michael Brown, even though we disagree theologically, has written books about, will the American church, will the American church, will the evangelical church pass the Trump test? That we were going to be tested. What were we going to care more about? The church failed the Trump test. The church failed the pandemic test. Now, to be fair, we're always going to fail the test because we're sinners. And that's why we need the gospel. But the thing is, is when we fail the test, we should be broken and humbled and humiliated by our failure and drive us further to Christ and to become more gospel minded and Christ minded and to try to approach things in a more humble way. But no, the tribalism, the division, the anger, the name calling, the judgmental arrogance, selfishness is still very much present in all of our lives. And and, and instead of being broken over it, we just seem to double down on it. The American church is in crises, plural. It is facing a crisis, singular if you want to just point to one. But I think we should say it's in crises. There are multiple crises that the church is facing. There are multiple ones. Multiple crises. Where do you think the church is headed? Where? Do you think the talk of all of these crises is just exaggerated and it really isn't that bad? And maybe everyone's just blowing it out of proportion and that this too will soon pass and the church is just going to continue on. I perceive it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I don't believe it's exaggerated. I believe we have some serious problems because at least for me, I say it all the time. If my church didn't exist, I don't know. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I do. I don't. 
when I look at American Christianity, I do feel like an outsider. When I turn on this microphone and talk about what's going on in the Christian world, I know every single time that I'm approaching it from a way that most are not going to agree with, that I'm going to be the weird, the weird one, the, the outsider, that here's Christianity and here's theology central. And I hate that. And I mean, now that my personality likes being the outsider, but in this particular case, I would like to feel like that I'm somewhere connected with fellow Christians. You tell me, you can email me today, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and you can tell me about Christianity and crisis or Christianity and crises, okay? You, you, I'm really emphasizing the singular and the plural there, trying to make a point, and I have to, I, in some ways, I didn't want to explain the point I was trying to make, but I knew someone would be like, crisis or crises, when should you use it? Should you ever use it? Do, don't ever use it. And there's all the rules about when to use it, not to use it, and I'd probably violate all of those rules. But I was purposely trying to make a point that I don't know if there's just one crisis. I think there's multiple ones. So the church is in crises. You can tell me whether you agree or disagree. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to take a break because it is 197 degrees currently in the studio because when I broadcast, I have to turn off the air conditioning because it's too loud. So for your listening pleasure, I almost die every single broadcast because I'm broadcasting from West Texas, where as someone in the comments said, it is, where is it? 87 million degrees. That is your forecast. No, it may not be 87 million degrees here in West Texas, but I think sometimes within the world of Christianity, it feels like it's 87 million degrees because it's just filled with so much controversy and division and i think things are definitely not going in the right way everyone have a good day god bless